the children are heading off to Children's Church to study God's Word this morning. And I want to encourage you to do the same thing as we grab our Bibles and we open up to the book of Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 as we're marching through God's Word and allowing God to reveal who He is and His attributes and what the God that we serve is like. And so today we come to an attribute that, frankly, many of us have probably never heard a sermon on at least on this main subject. I know some of us have heard of fire and brimstone preaching, right? You've heard of fire and brimstone sermons, and some people would rather not hear those, right? They'd rather not talk about this subject. That is the wrath of God. They'd rather focus on the love of God, His mercy, and His grace. And frankly, sometimes it's easier to preach on the love of God and His mercy and His grace and not to be the one that has to preach on His wrath. But the truth is... That wrath is a reality because the Word of God is clear and teaches us that God has wrath against sin. And I don't have to apologize for this doctrine today. It's not inconsistent with who God is. It's not inconsistent with His love. Some people are visiting this morning, maybe watching online, and you're wondering, is this a fundamentalist church? No, it's not a fundamentalist church, but we do believe that God's word is fundamental to knowing him. And there are fundamentals that God teaches in his word, precepts and principles that guide us in how we should live. And we are a church that desires to open the word and hear God speak the whole counsel of it. And so we don't apologize for what God says in his word. And we don't apologize for him. The reality is God is a God of wrath. But that wrath is critical for you and I to understand. Even if we don't like to talk about it. Even if we prefer to talk about God's love. Because you and I cannot understand how great God's love is. Until we understand the wrath that Jesus saved us from. When I understand that God is holy, we've already discussed that. When we understand God is righteous in all that he does, when we understand God is merciful and gracious as he does the right thing at Calvary so that he can make us right because of the sacrifice Christ offers, when we understand that gulf that God did span for you and for me, and when we realize today the wrath that was over us, then and then only, Do we truly understand how great the love is that Christ demonstrated at Calvary? And that should give us cause to celebrate today the great love that we've experienced and the amazing grace and mercy that has reached you and me. Paul wants to share good news. It's why he wrote this letter. Listen, I want to come to you. In the opening introduction of Romans chapter 1, he's telling the church there, I can't wait to get you. I'm indebted to you. I, I can't wait to share some amazing good news with you that I'm not ashamed of. But in order to understand the good news, he has to tell them the bad news. And the bad news is this. The bad news is that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. And when we understand that, then we realize the good news that is available to us. And that's what Paul is going to teach. We all need to hear this this morning, not just the church at Rome. We need to hear it because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's what Paul says quite clearly later in the book. We all are in desperate need. In fact, he lays out the argument, even in the first three chapters, of why we need to understand that we are in a deplorable position and a wretched position and a desperate position and we need Christ to die for us. Because we're not right with God. 
the, the culture and all of mankind is not right with God. It's depraved. Uh, those who are uh, moralizers, who think that they can be good enough and, and do enough good things, they're in a desperate position as well. Even the Jews, listen, though they may feel as though they're self-righteous and, and, and by keeping God's law and obeying it, no, 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 none of those things will, will save us. In fact, every mouth is stopped, is silenced when the law is truly read because it exposes all of us as Paul strings together the verses over in Romans chapter 3 and just lays out that, you know what, none is righteous, no, not one. All have sinned. In fact, from head to toe, we are sinners. And, and, and all that's before us is destruction. And there's no fear of God in the eyes of man. And we desperately need God to do something about it. And see, this is important because nothing keeps people away from Jesus more than their inability to recognize they need Him. Uh, their unwillingness even to admit it. It's the fool who says in his heart, there is no God. And that's a foolish statement. Because as Paul's going to lay out for us, he's going to show and reveal to us, no, 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 it's evident to everyone that there is a God. And it's evident that there's a truth that there is a God and, and that we need to trust in Him. The scoffer doesn't want to recognize that he needs God. He can do it all on his own. In fact, you remember when Jesus came to the Pharisees and even John the Baptist, and, and he told them, listen, you need to repent. And they didn't see any need for it. They said, listen, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, only the sick. But when you deny that you're sick, you won't go to the doctor. And that was the Pharisees, and it's any self-righteous person who fails to recognize, I am sick, sin sick, and I need a Savior. In fact, you and I know people. We may live with them, or we may work with them. We may go to school with them. We may play baseball or volleyball with them. We, we know individuals who are unwilling to acknowledge that they need to be saved. They don't want to hear the good news. And maybe it's because they don't understand the bad news. And the bad news is we need to be saved because we can't save ourselves. And there hangs over us the wrath of God. Remember, Jesus did not come into the world to condemn it because it was condemned already. Condemned because of sin. Jesus came to redeem, to save. And he who has the Son has life. But he who does not have the Son does not have life because the wrath of God is over him. That, that's what Paul's going to teach. In fact, listen, church, we need a healthy understanding of the wrath of God. Because we know it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Because he's a consuming fire. And so we're going to stand and we're going to read a few verses. We're going to focus primarily on verse 18 and then walk through the chapter in some ways. So I want you to stand with me in honor of the word of the Lord this morning. Romans chapter 1. I'm going to start reading in verse 16 and go down through about verse 21 today. So let's follow along with me, if you will. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed... From faith to faith, just as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen. 
being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Father, today our prayer is that the Word of God would be a lamp and a light, and it would illumine our hearts, and it would illumine our darkness so that we would understand more of who you are. That God, as we know who you are, we would not suppress that truth, hold it down, but God, we would yield to it and surrender to it. And that God, we would, by faith, be made right with you. God, we are thankful that the gospel brings the power of God to us. It is the power of God to make us right. And that's for the Jew first, but also, praise God, for the Greek. That's many of us gathered in this room and watching online right now, Lord. Only you can make us right. And we praise you that that is possible. Speak to us, Spirit of God, and may we have hearts that want to hear the living God speak today. It's in His name, Jesus' name, that we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. What is the wrath of God as we focus on verse 18? It's our memory verse for this week as we walk through these attributes of God. What does it mean that God is wrathful? Now, this is not His uh, angry retribution against those who have offended Him. It's, It's not an emotional response. It's His righteous judgment against those who have done evil. You see, God is righteous, and everything that He does has to be in accord with His righteousness, with His righteous standard. All of these attributes are always in perfect harmony within God. And so the wrath of God is His his detestation, His eternal detestation of all that is unrighteous. It's His wrath against sinners. It's nothing more than, listen, God giving what is rightly deserved. Again, He he doesn't have an emotional response. A lot of times we think of wrath as an emotional response to some injustice or something that we perceive as wrong. Sometimes it's just a, a raging anger or some indignation. And humans and God both can express wrath. But there's a vast difference between God's wrath and your wrath and my wrath. A vast difference. You see, God's wrath is holy. And it's always justified when he, when he gives his wrath. But our wrath is never holy. And it's never justified. Remember, God is the avenger. Amen. You see, God never acts with uncontrollable rage. There's never a response of bitterness, vindictive bitterness to a situation. He never loses his temper when God displays his wrath. In fact, what's fascinating is if you really study the Word of God and you walk through the Scriptures, what you find is there are more verses and more references to the wrath of God than to his love. Jesus speaks more about hell than he does heaven. In fact, in the Old Testament, there's 20 different words for the wrath of God. And yet, don't say today, well, that's the God of the Old Testament. He's a God of wrath. And the God of the New Testament is a God of love. Oh, no. The God, God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He doesn't change. In fact, what's fascinating is, if you go over to the Old Testament, there's 600 different passages that focus on the wrath of God, all the way from Genesis to Malachi. And when you get to the New Testament, there's only two words that really highlight God's wrath, or the word wrath, the term wrath. 
Sometimes it's used about rage when someone just is, is violently breathing and snorting. Sometimes it's, it's, it's a picture of something that's being held up, something that's growing ripe for something. It, it, something's being held back much like a, a dam holds back the water and, and it's holding it back until it finally just blows and bursts forth and blows that dam and comes flowing down. But see, God's wrath, when it happens, it's not an emotional outburst. It's something that is deserved. It is his strong and settled opposition to any and all things that are evil. When God displayed his wrath in the Old Testament, oftentimes it was his response to human sin, to disobedience, or even to idolatry. Which makes sense when we read this in Romans chapter 1. As God's wrath is revealed, and it's revealed because men don't acknowledge God, but worship other things as God. And God is consistent in this. He's consistent in displaying his wrath to those who don't obey his will. Not just to the Greeks, to the Gentiles, but also to the Jews. God takes sin seriously. In fact, it was so serious that the first display of his wrath was actually in the Garden of Eden. When the sentence of death was cast, uh, pronounced upon mankind and, and the earth was cursed and, and man was driven out from the Garden of Eden. And the flaming swords were put there. It was revealed when, when God punished the mankind in the flood. You recall the hearts of men were exceedingly wicked and, 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 and intent on doing and devising evil. And God was sorry for what he had made. And he said, I'm going to send a flood and destroy it all. And yet he only spared eight lives. But as sparing those eight lives, he spared the seed that would save you and me from the wrath of God. The amazing thing is he demonstrated his wrath in Sodom and Gomorrah with the wickedness that they had. And, and fire fell from heaven and, and God made it evident as death reigns all over the place. We see the effects of sin and the wrath of God revealed. But above all, God's wrath was displayed when the Son of God came to die for you and for me. The innocent Son of God who came to give His life as a sacrifice for our sin. And there in his sufferings and in his death, in a manner which is awful, never before has anyone died like that, God displayed his great displeasure against sin. And yet, you know what's fascinating? There is still a day, the prophets would tell us, Zephaniah and Joel, a day of wrath that is coming. We read about it in the book of Revelation. A day of great wrath, a day when God will display that wrath on mankind who have rejected him. And not surrendered to him. God judges sin. The Old Testament and the New Testament both reveal that. In fact, in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. You see there, we see there, the judgment of God. And the serious consequences of not repenting and turning. And even the man, the rich man there, crying out that God would send someone back from the dead. So that they could believe. God said, no. They have Abraham, They have the... The law and the prophets, and that's enough. You see, God's word warns us. It speaks to us. You know what's amazing? Go read John 3.16. And we read that, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. But Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn it. It was already condemned. And later John in that chapter will say in verse 36 that, that whoever has the son has eternal life. 
But whoever rejects the Son will not see life because God's wrath remains on him. You see, when we don't believe in Jesus, when we don't receive him as our Savior, as Paul would say in Romans chapter 2, we, we are going to be judged in a day of wrath. The wrath of God is a fearsome and terrifying thing. And only those covered by the blood of Christ that was shed for us at Calvary can be assured that God's wrath will not fall on them. You see, there's a truth that reveals and discloses God's wrath. Paul's going to explain it here. Now, now we walk from verse 16 down through verse 21. If we walk backwards, you're going to see his argument of what he's making here. He's making the case that, listen, God has revealed himself, his glory. That God is a glorious God, an eternal God with a divine nature. And, and he reveals that. But what happens, as we see in verse 18, is sinners suppress the knowledge of God. And yet God says, I can make you right. There is a faith that makes man right. And it's found in the Old Testament. It's found in the New Testament. It's consistent all throughout that God and God alone can make us right through faith. And that's possible because the power of the gospel, the power of the gospel that can save us. And so when you look at these verses, what we realize, there is a truth that discloses the wrath of God, that reveals it. Now notice in verse 18, notice what it says. The wrath of God is revealed. It doesn't say will be revealed like in the great tribulation or in hell. No, no, no. It says it is revealed. In fact, it is being revealed. I underlined that in my Bible and then I drew a little line back up to verse 17. Because in verse 17 it says the righteousness of God is revealed. Think about this for a moment. God is revealing his righteousness that is available in fact, the Bible would say over in John's gospel that the Spirit of God is convicting us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Sin because we don't believe, righteousness that we haven't received, and judgment because the God of this world has been judged. God is revealing that. He's, he's wooing people to himself. He's, he's saying, I love you, look what I've done. The Spirit of God is trying to speak to men's hearts and open our eyes to realize you need to be saved. But just as that righteousness is revealed, so too the wrath of God is revealed and is being revealed. And it's evident all around us. Not will be revealed, it is revealed. How? Whenever we see God's judgment of sin in some way, that is a small expression of his wrath and indignation against sin. The full measure of it hasn't been poured out. That, that's not even the great tribulation. Hell is the ultimate conclusion to all of this, of God's wrath. But along the way, we see it revealed and being revealed. How so? Well, with death. Oh, we see plenty of that, don't we? The wages of sin is death. God expresses his wrath against sin in this way. The soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. Now the good news for the believers, listen, praise God, Jesus, through his death, offers us life so that when we die, we don't fear death because for the believer, it's become the doorway into God's presence. Praise God this morning. Amen. Man, I hope you have that assurance in your heart this morning. And I hope, listen, your family knows you have that assurance in your heart this morning. Because we're all going to die at some point. And it's at that moment that sometimes our children or our grandchildren, they'll ask, well, did they believe? 
It's critical that we let them know and we make them know. And not just we tell them, we show them by our faith. And we live it out before them. It's critical that we do that now. Death is revealing it. It's exposing it. I see death. You see death all around us. Death, not just in individuals, but death in creation. And it's evident that that death reminds us there is a God who judges sin and takes sin seriously. The amazing thing is it's not just death, but also the daily distresses that creation experiences. What do I mean by that? When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, what happened? When they sinned, uh, all of the earth was cursed. The earth was cursed with with the effects of sin. And, And sin infected and affected everything. And so we see that all around us. We don't see perfection around us, do we? No, what we see is what Paul would say over in Romans chapter 8. Creation is groaning to be set free from the effects of sin. The effects of sin are are seen in natural evil, whether it's tornadoes or hurricanes, or whether it's cancer and diseases and sickness. It's a reminder that there's a fallen world that has been judged by God and His wrath is standing over this creation. His good creation has been affected by it. We, We see it, listen, with the rain. Every time it rains, it's a good thing that it rains because that's God's good gift to water the ground and and, and supply for us seed and and bread and, and food to eat. But the rain is a reminder, not just of God's goodness, but also of His wrath. Because the first time it rained, what happened? Well, that was when Noah built the ark. It had never rained before then. And when that rain fell, God's, uh, God flooded the earth. But praise God, there's a promise and there's a rainbow, amen? That God has promised us He'll never, ever destroy the earth with water again. Now, He will destroy it with fire. Woohoo! That might be worse. But he will make a new heaven and a new earth. But every time I see the rain, I'm reminded God is good and God judges sin. And we should take that seriously. These things are revealing, disclosing God's wrath. But perhaps one way that that is most evident uh, to see the wrath of God, but we don't think about it this way, is when we see a depraved culture. A depraved culture is a revelation that God's wrath is against sinful man in this way. God gives man over to his devices. In fact, Paul makes this argument down through the rest of chapter 1. In fact, in verse 22, I'm sorry, verse 24, 26, and 28, you can note and underline there that simple phrase, God gave them up, or God gave them over. He gives them up to uncleanliness. He gives them up or over to vile passions. He, he gives them up to their debased mind. You see, what happens is the truth that discloses the wrath of God is not just death and diseases and distresses in life. It's it's depravity all around us, especially when there's this progression negatively, this downward progression or regression that happens where man is given over to his devices. All because of ungodliness and because of unrighteousness. When you read and see depravity in our culture... That is a warning to us that we are under the wrath of God and we better wake up. Hey, we better wake up. When a man thinks he's a woman, that's a depraved culture. 
when a woman thinks she can marry a woman or a man can marry a man, that's a depraved culture. When a culture allows this medical mental disorder, rather, to continue, it's depraved. Listen carefully. Y'all didn't amen that. When we allow this to pollute the minds of our children, that's depraved. When we have no courage to call this sin, that's depraved. And you're given over to these things. Church, listen carefully. God has made us. The Creator has made us. He's made it evident, disclosed, that He is God and we're not. And He's made all things. When man, listen, when mankind rejects that fundamental reality that we are made by God and we forget who made us and how He made us and that we don't make ourselves, what happens, you blur that distinction and you blur the plumb line of truth that God is the only one who defines what is right and what is wrong. And when you blur that distinction, what happens is you cannot think clearly about anything. And when you can't think clearly about anything, it leads to all other kinds of vices, all kinds of other uh, depravity and debased uh, ways of living. And you see that down in verses 29 and following. And you see a culture that deserves the wrath of God because God has disclosed his wrath through judgment. And that's what we see. And church, if there's ever a time for you and I to be praying for God's mercy, it's now for our nation. We desperately need to turn back to God. You should be burdened about that because what happens, what we know, is wrath is when God's holiness meets and deals with sin. When his justice deals with those in rebellion against him. When his righteousness meets what is unrighteous. The, the wrath of God is revealed, listen, against all, from heaven, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Who do what? Suppress the truth. Now I underline that in my Bible for a reason. Because you see the truth of God has been revealed. Creation is speaking. When you go out today, as you drove in, as you go home, all of creation is speaking. It's declaring there is an almighty God. It, and when you suppress that truth, you deserve the wrath of God. When you deny that there is a God who made all things, you deserve the wrath of God. You suppress, you hold down, I will not acknowledge, I will not surrender, I will not yield to that truth. The light comes into the world, as John would say in his gospel, and the world loved darkness more than light. That's what's happened in our culture, in our hearts. And until we repent and turn to Christ, it can't be changed. But that's what needs to happen. And when it doesn't happen, you suppress the truth. That suppression leads to ungodliness. That ungodliness leads to wickedness. And then every kind of evil and violence. It is sin against God in his being. It's a defying. It's a denying. He's God and I'm not. It's a defying because I don't want to surrender to his will. Now stop and think about this. If God is God and we're not, we have to give an account to him. One day we have to stand before our creator, our maker, and give an account of what we've made in this world with our life. What we've done with it. 
Now, what's fascinating to me is, is when you read this here, not only did they not acknowledge God, although, verse 21, although they knew him, they act like they don't know him. Listen, there are no true atheists, okay? There comes a point where you're going to recognize there's a God. And there isn't really, I know some say they're agnostics, we just don't have the information. Well, the truth and reality is, is, is what you're really trying to say is, I'm a know-it-all and I know all things. And really, only God knows all things. Not the, not the, and, and if there is some knowledge out there, would you want to know him? Or do you want to stay in your sin because you love it so much? That's oftentimes what is happening. All right? God has made it known. It's evident, as it says in verse 21. But here's the thing. I underline this in my Bible as well. They did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful. You see, here's the problem. They don't want to glorify God. They instead worship created things. Idols. They, they choose the, the creature rather than the creator. And worship all kinds of stuff rather than the God who made us. And not only do they not acknowledge him and glorify him, they don't even say thank you. They don't thank him for every good gift. Do you realize anything that you and I have received good this week, you know where it started? The Father's throne. A good father gives good gifts. Not just to his children. The rain falls on the good and the evil. God's good gift of rain falls on all of us so that we can eat. But they don't acknowledge it. Now what's fascinating to me is these who deserve the wrath of God because they don't acknowledge God and they don't thank Him. They don't glorify Him nor say, I'm grateful. You know what's fascinating to me? When you go over to what Paul wrote in the book of Hebrews over in chapter 11, do you know faith, the corollary truth to this is, is that those who not unbelief and don't say and don't glorify God and don't say I'm grateful, those who do believe, do you know what you have to believe? Just the opposite. Everyone who comes to God must believe what? That he is and that he rewards those who seek him. In other words, what you do is you come to God and you say, you're God and I'm not. And I need you to save me. And you know what? I'm thankful that by pressing, put, placing my faith in your Savior, your Son, the one you sent for me, I'm thankful that you can reward my faith. And you can give me not just a gift. You can give me the greatest gift. Forgiveness. Praise God. It's the opposite. Those who don't believe don't say, you're God. I won't glorify you. They, they don't say, I, I will recognize you. They don't say thank you. But those who do recognize him and they're grateful and they believe that he'll reward their faith, they're saved from the wrath of God. You see, this is the truth that, that we don't want to acknowledge today. This is the good news that we, we want to experience, but we don't want to acknowledge the bad news. And that you can't know the good news without knowing the bad news. And the bad news is this. There is a truth that deserves God's wrath. It is the suppression of the truth. The truth that God is the God who made all things, the creator of all things. He is the all-powerful God, the one to whom we have to give an account, and, and a truth that we must surrender and yield to Him. But there's also a truth, praise God, that delivers us from God's wrath. You see, over in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, when Paul describes you and me and any and everyone who's been saved, he says, listen, we were dead in our trespasses and sin. Beloved, we had no hope. And he says, there's a spirit of darkness that's in this world. Uh, this, this prince of darkness that reigns and rules temporarily. And he says, we once were 
influenced in that way. We once were children of doom, children of depravity. We had no hope, and, and we were children of darkness. We were children of wrath. But God showed us mercy. Praise the Lord. You see, when I understand that, I understand how great His grace is in His mercy to me. And just how great His love is that I didn't deserve it. I was His enemy. I was alienated from Him. I had no hope. And yet Christ came for you and for me to deliver us from sin. Wow. And this is the truth. How can Jesus deliver me from God's wrath? Well, over in Matthew chapter 26... There, the night before he went to the cross to die for you and for me, he was in the garden praying, the garden of Gethsemane. And he was there, and remember he told a couple of the disciples, he said, listen, hey Peter, y'all need to pray. And you need to pray hard. And he went a little stone stone throws away over there, and he knelt down and he started praying to God. And he prayed, Father, if it's possible, may this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. He, he went back and they were sleeping. He said, wake up and pray. And he went back and he prayed the same prayer again. Father, if it's possible, may this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And you know, a third time he went and he said, Satan wants to sift you. you. Pray. And he prayed it again. What's that cup? What was the cup? It was the cup of God's wrath. You see, Jesus, as he realized he's about to be the sin sacrifice... For all of mankind. He's about to give his life as a ransom for many. In that moment, listen, the stress was so great, he sweated blood. Just imagine that. The weight that was upon him. Well, that's what Gethsemane means, right? It's the olive press. It's where they crushed olives. And they crushed the, the, the olive and the juice comes out. In that moment, Christ was crushed with the weight of what was before him for you and for me. Pretty amazing. And we know he went to the cross. He was betrayed not long after that. And they took him and they beat him and they mocked him and they scourged him. And then they took him and he hung on the cross. And he hung on that cross, listen, because you and I say to God, not thy will, my will be done. But Jesus drank that cup willingly. Why? Paul would write, or it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross and suffered the shame for you and for me. Praise God this morning. And the truth is this. It's through his sacrifice at Calvary. It's the sacrifice that only that sacrifice meets the right standard, the just standard of God, so that God can be both just and justifier, Romans 3.26, and he can save us from our sins. And the truth that delivers me and can deliver you this morning is this. If you'll acknowledge, God, you're holy and I'm not, I can't save myself. I need you to save me from my sin. And I recognize the Spirit of God is convicting me, and I, and I can't make myself better. I know I can't. But I see the sacrifice that Jesus offered for me, and I want to put my faith in that sacrifice. I want to trust in what Christ has done for me, that He has paid the penalty for my sin. And I want Him to be my Savior and my Lord. Thank you for loving me. If you will make that profession of faith today, the Bible says we are born again through repentance and faith and trusting in that sacrifice. And your life can be made new. And the truth is you are delivered from the wrath of God. 
And if you've never experienced it, you need to experience it today. As Paul says over in Romans chapter 5, verse 9, that Jesus, when he comes to save us, he saves us from the wrath to come. And we're no longer under the wrath because we've been justified by faith and saved from God's wrath. In fact, you know, this morning, if you're a believer, the truth is this. We need a healthy understanding of the wrath of God. Not just because our God is a consuming fire. And it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But Paul would tell the Corinthians this. Because we know this, because we know the terror of the Lord, because we understand there is a day of wrath that's coming, and God demonstrates that wrath, it is being revealed. Paul says this. Because we know the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. That means there's people tomorrow, listen, that you're going to go see at work or at school students or on the ball team that you coach. That there's friends and family that we know, we're going to see them today, who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And if you're a believer and you know the truth that has delivered you from the wrath of God, you should be persuading others. What good is it for you and I to be saved and to know we can be saved and never share that wonderful news, that good news, that there's bad news against us unless we repent and place our faith and trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We, we want to extend that invitation to everyone who's gathered here, to anyone and everyone. If you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, then today is the day of salvation. Today's the day to say, Jesus, I believe he took my wrath for me. And I want to be saved from the wrath of God. That's a good thing. It's a good motivation to get saved. The greatest motivation is who God is. His great love for us. And what he's done for us. But you have to place your faith and trust in him. 